listening to Infertility and Beyond. We are your hosts, Amy and Sasha. For us, it has not been easy trying to conceive. Come join us on this journey as we talk all things infertility, share our stories and the stories of others, bring you information surrounding fertility treatments, grief, and everything in between. We are here to connect and empower women as they navigate all things infertility and beyond. Let's get into today's episode. Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for tuning into episode eight. I actually cannot believe that we're at eight episodes already. That is crazy. I know. Who would have thought, Sash? Like we honestly were like thinking it up one day random. Let's do a podcast. And like here we are eight episodes in. And thanks to every single person that reaches out on us on the daily basis and just sends us love and support and, you know, you, you guys telling us, um, how much this podcast is needed is exactly what keeps us going and creating content for you all. So thank you. We appreciate you. We see you and we understand where you're coming from. Definitely. And I think like all those women that have offered to come on the podcast, we just want to say thank you so much for just putting yourself out there and wanting to be vulnerable and wanting to help other women. So yeah, thank you. We can't wait to have, um, most of you on the show. And before we get into today's episode, though, we want to share Ash's fertility fact for the week. All right, guys. So for some of our listeners, if you have endometriosis, it may be more difficult for you to become pregnant. Up to 30, 30% to 50% of women with endometriosis may experience infertility. Endometriosis can influence fertility in several different ways such as distorted anatomy of the pelvis, adhesions, scarred fallopian tubes, inflammation of the pelvic structure, altered immune system functioning, changes in the hormonal environment of the eggs, impaired implementation of pregnancy, and altered egg quality. Yeah, wow. There's a That's lot of different wow. things there. Yeah, yeah definitely. I don't, think, I don't think you really understand that when you first hear about endometriosis like it's affects you in more ways than one really yeah Yeah. and there's multiple stages of it as well I think they range from stage one to four and four obviously being the severe yeah wow Mm. well yeah ladies if you're listening and you have symptoms or even if you're asymptomatic and you can't fall pregnant probably best to check with your fertility specialist um so we actually have a topic that is quite similar to this today on our podcast. Uh, we hear from the beautiful Olivia Murray. She has been on her trying to conceive journey now for five years and she's kept a lot of it private in her private life. Um, she actually does have a miracle baby, Ellie, um, but she is now struggling with secondary infertility. So this episode, we dive into her uh, fertility treatments, which include IVF, um, IUI. um, She has also um, numerous laparoscopies um, and she talks about changing clinics if you're unhappy with your current model of care, which is really interesting as well. So um, we'll get into today's episode and we hope you get a lot out of it, guys. Welcome back to the Infertility and Beyond podcast. Today we're here with special guest Olivia. Um, Olivia's going to tell us about her journey. Olivia, do you want to take it away? 
Hi, I'm Olivia. I live in New South Wales and I've been on a bit of a fertility journey for about five years now. It has been a very long journey, but hopefully very soon it'll come to an end. I've been with my partner for six years and we've been married for three years. We have done quite a few different fertility treatments, but fortunately we have a three-year-old daughter, uh, which we actually got in a natural month, which is definitely not what we were expecting. And you will understand that when we go through a bit more of our journey. But I just want to thank all of the three girls for having me on here today. And I would really like the infertility journey for everyone to be able to talk about it freely. I think it's a very taboo topic that people don't like talking about. But in the last couple of months, I've basically said to myself, if people can talk about their pregnancies and how they fall pregnant, we can talk about how we can't fall pregnant. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not a a topic that's talked about widely and it sort of makes women feel like those struggles and sort of not being able to fall pregnant naturally or straight away is a little bit like you sort of feel a bit of shame around that because it isn't talked about very often. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you go through all of the feels about not wanting to go to baby showers. You don't want to see pregnancy announcements. I've had times where I've deleted Facebook because so many people are pregnant. Um, And yeah, obviously it's nothing against anyone that can fall pregnant naturally. But yeah, it is a topic that I think a lot of people do have to talk about a bit further in depth. And yeah, just know that we aren't sick. It is just an issue that we're going through. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, more and more people are opening up and talking about it and trying to break that stigma, which is so beautiful to see. Um, like you're just seeing it more and more these days. So um, the more that people speak up and find the strength to tell their stories, I find it gives more women strength to to feel less alone. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I probably didn't tell anyone for the first four years of our treatment and I think maybe some people did catch on that something was going on but until I told a couple of my best friends what was going on they probably didn't know the extent I was going to behind the scenes um I think they probably just thought that she's not falling pregnant naturally and they're just still trying but really we were having surgeries we were having egg retrievals we were having all of that stuff behind the scenes and yeah it is a very long and hard journey And did you feel like you couldn't really tell them because they were sort of on their own journeys or what sort of made you feel that you couldn't open up to them within that, you know, period? Yeah, not necessarily that they um, were on their own journeys because I've got a couple of friends that aren't even up to that time of their life. But I think maybe just because when people can fall pregnant naturally, they get the excitement of going, oh, wow, we're pregnant. And like they can tell everyone at 12 weeks where if you're going through an infertility journey and you are telling people they're like oh where are you up to where how would this go and you've got to deal with it in real time yeah I can completely agree I think the biggest thing for me that I was worried about and really sad about was the fact that you know that surprise element was really taken away like you said it's so clinical everyone knows including your partner when you're doing the test how you're going to do the test and like yeah, it just takes that element of surprise away. So I can completely agree where, but, and it wouldn't, you probably wouldn't have meant to hold out for four years. You probably would have just, you know, it four years would have happened pretty quickly 
before you knew it and you're like, oh my gosh, how's it already been four years? And none of my friends even know what's going on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, how about we start in, I guess, back to the start in the beginning, um, when you first started trying, tell us a little bit about your journey. Did you know you were going to struggle with infertility or was it something that, um, kind of was sprung up on you when you started trying? Okay. So basically when I was a teenager, I got my menstrual cycle quite late and I think I was nearly 15, which, um, a lot of my friends were already having them. Like I had friends that had them in primary school, which is, um, quite early, but a lot of my friends had them in year seven and I was actually nearly in year 10 before I even got them. So I think, um, they came on very fast and very heavy and I had a lot of pain like I remember two out of the five days I wouldn't be able to go to school and yeah I was just so scared of like leaking all of that kind of stuff so um I ended up going to see a gynecologist in my hometown and we got to a plan where okay well endometriosis is probably on the cards and I was 17 at this stage so I put up with it for a couple of years and she actually got me into surgery quite quickly and she confirmed that I did have endometriosis. And she said, honestly, if you were at time, at the time of having a baby now, I would be telling you to do it, but obviously you're 17. So let's not even think about that. And we had the surgery and everything went well. I had an, another surgery the year after because it just wasn't easing. And same thing, it had grown a bit worse and then yeah I just kind of was putting up with it at this stage I didn't have a partner or anything like that so I just went out into the real world and got a job and I still remember like I was trying so many different pills and just none of them were working like one I would vomit on one I would get really bad acne on one would just make me feel nauseous all the time and were you feeling this way like as in was it the pain from the period or like the heavy bleeding or well, to be honest, I don't really know because I was probably one of those young girls that, well, oh, I'm just going to skip it. Like if it's going to give me so much pain, why Why would I? Of course. So I would skip it and then all of a sudden I'd have a bigger issue where, okay, I know it doesn't build up, but the next month would be horrific. So I stopped skipping it and then I tried to go on the rod and same thing, I, it wasn't really well and um, – I was quite sick on it and then I would get breakthrough bleeding all the time. So I think at one point there I was bleeding for like 90-something days. Yeah, wow. So I got that taken out and basically I went on no contraception and I didn't have a partner or anything like that so it wasn't an issue. And were they encouraging you to have kids because they thought that your egg quality would diminish or what because you said that you didn't have a partner at the time and that they said if you weren't so young that they would encourage you to have kids? Yeah, I don't think there was my egg quality. It was just the depth of the endometriosis and how fast it was growing. Yeah, so okay. I think that was probably the main thing. And I had grown such a relationship with my gynecologist that we were very open to speaking about it. So, yeah, that's basically where I started. And then I met my partner and um, we ended up trying naturally and we're like, oh, it's going to happen. Like I, I didn't even have in the back of my head that, oh, no, endo will stop it, even though I knew that it could be a big thing for infertility. So I was like, okay, not, not pregnant the first month. That's no, definitely going to happen next month. And I was like 
Googling baby clothes, baby car seats and everything going crazy. Didn't happen for five months. And I, I just said to my partner, I think we need to go back to my gynecologist and have a bit of a conversation around it. So I went to her and, um, yeah, so we started on ovulation induction then. So we did probably around five rounds of it. And then and was had, that like letrozole and? I actually did Clomid this time. Clomid, yeah. And then we d- tested the LH and when I got a surge, I would have the trigger shot and uh, have sex every 24 hours after that. So, you know, how they tell you, make sure you yep. So there's nothing romantic about timed sex, but. Oh, no, I feel like it just, and it's so mechanical because it's usually when you're busy or you're doing this and you're like, no, we've got to get that session in today. Otherwise, and it's so sad that if you miss that, then you think that could have been the time. absolutely. When in hindsight, when you look back, you're like, no, it it doesn't matter because there's been times where we've had sex every other time and it's not worked. I remember I had a, um, like a calendar on the back of my bedroom door and I'd write like sex, 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 had sex. And I'm like, why isn't this working? And my partner thought I was crazy, but I was like, no, this is going to (laughs) work. Anyway, it didn't. And then we had actually been engaged during this time and we were planning our wedding and I obviously didn't want to be pregnant at our wedding and definitely not like nine months pregnant. So we're in the middle of buying our house as well. And we had booked the wedding for um, April 2018 and I was like, okay, well, we can't fall pregnant for these two or three months just because I don't want to be in like late second trimester, third trimester if I am pregnant. Anyway, of course, that month I fell pregnant. Oh, my so, God, that's naturally, that's amazing. Naturally and I remember I was at work and I was like, man, I have sore boobs when was my last period oh my god it's late and I wasn't tracking at all this month because I'm like no we've got our wedding booked and we need to not fall pregnant so anyway (laughs) how many months was this into the trying to conceive journey 14 months oh yeah wow so that would have been a huge shock yeah so basically I was at work and I'm like okay I need to go to the doctor I had told my partner that um, I was just going to the doctor for something. I had doctor's appointment every 10 days basically, so he didn't think anything out of the ordinary. Anyway, so I had the blood test and I had tested the night before the blood test and it was the strongest positive ever. And I was like, oh, my God. So then I had to sleep next to him that night and I didn't sleep very well, had the blood test in the morning. And, of course, when the doctor rang me, Mick is standing right next to me. And they were like, oh, we're just letting you know that you are pregnant. I'm like, oh, okay, thank you. And, yeah, so then I had to hide it. And I'm like, how am I going to tell him? Because I really wanted to make it a surprise. Of course, you've waited that long. You want to just make it as special as you can. Absolutely. So I had went down to the shops and got a gift box and put a few things in there and put the pregnancy test in there. And um, he was in the shower when I got home and, I, when he jumped out, I said, oh, just come in here. I've bought mum a present. Can you just come and have a look at it? And he opened the box up and he honestly said, get fucked. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, 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 it's real. <laughs> and I said, we are nine months and two weeks out from our wedding. 
and I was about five. Oh weeks my old. god, the timing! <laughs> and I'm like, oh, we have so much to. And I had everything planned. I'm quite an organized person, so I was like, oh my god, what am I going to do now? Anyway, it was obviously very exciting, but I didn't <laughs> really expect it that month. So. Hold on. The question is, did you actually still get married at the original date? No, we didn't. We had postponed it and I'm so (laughs) glad we did. So our due date was on the 9th of May and our wedding was planned for the 14th of April. So I would have been 37 weeks pregnant. And of course, Ellie came when I was 37 weeks and two days. Oh my God. (laughs) It would have been very eventful. And yeah, so we had postponed for six months. So actually five months and we postponed it till September. And yeah, so now, well, we were currently pregnant and yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's what a beautiful year or month that that would have been for you. Yeah. Like a double whammy. And I remember actually on our wedding day that it was supposed to be, we were in town and we had went for dinner that night and it was raining and it was the worst night ever. And I was like, oh, thank God I felt pregnant because I would have been so sad if this was my wedding day. The universe had your back, girl. Yeah, so that's basically how we felt pregnant, not in any fertility treatment, not with any blood test, not with any ovulation induction just very very natural and to be honest I think we actually didn't even have sex that month but of course (laughs) Ellie begs to differ but it was a month (laughs) we were very busy and yeah just not thinking about that and that comes down to you know those people that say like just stop thinking about it and it'll happen (laughs) not stressing yeah literally oh It's always the way, though, I feel like when you sort of least expect something, but obviously when you're going through the the midst of it, it's so hard to get into that mindset, really, of just not thinking about it. Unless you really don't want it to sort of happen because of something like a wedding. Yes. So, um, yeah, briefly tell us about your pregnancy then and how that all went. So I actually had a quite a good pregnancy. I um, didn't have any real issues. I was quite sick, but I could deal with that for the time that we were actually trying to conceive. So I did um, vomit quite a lot. And I just remember like pulling up at the traffic lights one day and I had to vomit. So I opened up the door. Everyone must have been thinking that I was hungover. But anyway, um, I probably vomited until... I was around 20 weeks, I think. And then I had a bit of a break and I started vomiting at around 29 weeks. Um, So, yeah, and I just like went off a few different foods. Um, I had polycystic ovaries, so I had to have the GTT, which is the glucose tolerance test when I was 20 weeks. And they diagnosed me with gestational diabetes, which did catch me by surprise and I was very upset by it. But to be honest, I was diet controlled until five days prior to birth. So um, other than that, I didn't have any real issues and I quite enjoyed the process and it did go very, very fast. I probably didn't slow down as much as I should have. And if I was to fall pregnant again now, I would look at it very differently. And did you, when did you find out that you had PCOS? Uh, basically when I was a teenager as well. Sorry, I forgot yeah. to mention that. No, that's okay. So did that obviously fall into 
like not being able to ovulate regularly and having to do that ovulation induction? Yeah, so when I was a teenager, I could go about 35 to 60 days without a cycle. And then when I get it, I would bleed from anywhere from seven days till I could bleed for a month. Um, so and painful but, periods from that. Yeah, yes, but now I'm a strict 28 day um, period and I ovulate on day 15 every single month. So it's oh, very that different. gives me hope, girl. <laughs> yeah, so it's very different to compared to what I had prior to um, like trying to fall pregnant. Um, but yeah, like I know if I don't have my period on day 28, something's wrong or I'm pregnant. Um, <laughs> One yes. could only hope. <laughs> I've had two late periods in the four years and one was obviously Ellie and one was an IVF pregnancy. So, Okay, yeah. So why don't you tell us more about, so you, you had Ellie and then when did you know that you were ready to sort of start trying again for a second baby? Um, to be honest, I would um, have fell pregnant straight away if I could. Um, it was never in our mind to go back on contraception because we had such a difficult time conceiving her, even though she was natural. Um, so I kind of said, um, because I had an emergency cesarean, we obviously waited for the clearance and then I was like, well, I'm not going back on contraception. Why don't we just have unprotected sex and just see what happens? And I thought, oh, God, I'm going to have two under one. No, I definitely don't have two under one and I still don't have two under four. So I um, was probably a bit naive that I thought that it was going to happen straight away again. So do you did you know much about secondary infertility? Like I, I we speak to a lot of people now that, um, and we even spoke before this meeting and, you know, a lot of people assume, oh, well, you've got one. Oh, when are you having the next one? And I think people ask that they don't mean to be, I guess, rude or offensive. It's just like something that they're naturally saying. But I know that I've personally changed my wording now when I speak to people, if they've got one, I said, you know, oh, would you like to have any more kids one day? Or you say it in a different way, not, oh, when's the next one? Because like, you, you know, yourself, you've struggled for, is it, did you say four years? Um, yeah, five years. Five years since your first daughter oh yeah oh no sorry three and a half years since Ellie was born exactly so So you've been getting those questions three and a half years yeah Yeah. absolutely so yeah and I think I'm because I'm such an organized person and people know that I'm like structured they would probably know that okay well she will know when she wants to have another baby so I think it was very hard and even like close family and friends would do the same thing and I kind of for the first couple of years after Ellie I just said, oh, look, we're not ready. We're really, we were already doing IVF and we were doing IUIs and all of that kind of stuff. So I think I just didn't want to tell anyone because I I wanted it to be a surprise as well and I wanted to keep something secret. Yeah, no, completely. Was there a point, like what was a tipping point where you ended up telling your family and friends? Was there, were you just so, you know, low on in, in general that you kind of couldn't hide it any longer or...? But to be honest, uh, my parents probably don't know much at all. I think they would catch on to going, okay, well, 
Ellie's nearly four years old, so we know that probably something is wrong. But I've never actually sat down with them and told them the story. I have one of my sisters that I actually told her when I had the miscarriage and um, she knew what I was having an embryo transfer and that ended in that. So she knows about it. Uh, my brother, I've got four brothers and they probably don't even think to ask any of that. Uh, my best friends, I told them... Probably not all all at the same time. One of my best friends is a doctor, so she gets it. And one of, a couple of my other best friends are really good to talk to about it. But, again, they haven't been there. So I think it's quite hard for them to actually get into the conversation. And I don't want to make them feel awkward either. Yeah. So yeah. I know what you mean. So you um yeah so you've been you're trying um since you've had your, your first daughter and how long um did it take for you to go in and start the kind of next process with your um fertility specialist we actually waited around five months and I had an appointment with her and we did some more ovulation induction. I think we did around seven or eight rounds because I just wasn't ready for IVF I think IVF was a big stigma in my brain to go, oh, no, I don't need IVF. I've had a natural pregnancy. So I um, did a bit of ovulation induction and it just wasn't working. So I had um, some more surgery for my endo and then my gynecologist obstetrician just said to me, look, I think we need to look down the IVF path. And I was like, okay, well, I'm open to that. Um, as long as it gets me my baby. So I had went to a clinic a couple of hours from home and I just didn't love it at all. And it was probably a, quite a um, bad experience if anyone is looking into IVF. So I went out of that appointment with such, like, de- I was very deflated. The doctor had basically said to me, no, I won't see you until you've done this, this and this. And it wasn't realistic. So I um, didn't end up going back to that clinic and I just said to my gynecologist that I wanted to go to another clinic. So she referred me to one another couple of hours in the other direction and she, I, it was a man and he was very, very lovely. So as soon as I had met him, the only thing I probably didn't know about is he said, oh, why don't we do an IUI? And I didn't know what an IUI was at this stage. So he explained that. He said, we'd usually do three or four IUIs before we move to IVF. And I just basically said, look, I'm not happy to do that. I'm happy to try one. If it doesn't work, I want to move straight on to IVF because IUI is still quite expensive. And if you do four IUIs, you could have paid for a cycle of IVF. Yeah, I can completely agree with you there. Like, I mean, there's definitely a time and place for IUI, but when you are at the point where you've, you know, you're longing for your your baby and it, I kind of looked at it like if I'm going to be doing all these hormones and needles and all, all this stuff anyway, why not give myself the absolute best chance? So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we did one IUI and if anyone doesn't know what an IUI is, it is um, your husband or partner does a semen sample and they pick out the best sperm and um, wash it all up and then transfer it back inside you at ovulation time so um, some IUIs you still do medication and stuff sometimes you do a natural cycle but we had done the trigger shot and everything so we had went over to the clinic and he gave his sample and then they put it back inside me 
Um, unfortunately, I did get my period, so it didn't work. And I I was probably a bit impatient and just said, yep, no, nah, let's go. We're doing IVF and that's it. And my husband is very like, oh, look, I'll do whatever you want me to do to your body. And, um, yeah, so he's only got to do one thing and he does get out of it quite easy. But, yeah, I still think it's a bit awkward for those boys to do the semen samples. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I definitely don't think it's a comfortable thing for them. I I feel bad even asking Jara to, like, let's retest your sperm. Let's see where we're at, see if it's gotten any better after all the stuff yeah. we've been doing. And it's sort of like you feel bad because you're like, it's such an awkward yeah, thing, absolutely. you know, for a blood test or something to go. Or I mean, we endure the internal examinations and all that kind of thing but I think we just know that we have to do that sort of like whatever we have to do but you always sort of feel for the feel for the guys because yeah absolutely and it's not very nice like I know if your clinic is not near your house you have to go into this room where they've got like porno magazines an old tv and a chair like it's not very nice to be like oh okay there's a doctor waiting outside waiting for me to do this yeah and you walk out with your little sample and you like it's just people those people that just literally get to have sex in their bedrooms make love to their partner is they I feel like they don't appreciate it or some people yeah. don't appreciate it as much as they should because it that all gets taken away from us that have to, you know, yeah, do absolutely. medical intervention and stuff. So, And I yeah. think that's probably one of my biggest things on why I have started talking about it because if people can talk about them falling pregnant after one night or they um, they were drunk one night at a party or something like that and they, her and her husband have went home and they've fallen pregnant, we should be able to say all about our years of IVF treatment and all of the money we put into it and not have a shame against us. Definitely, definitely. Um, so after that IUI, you decided to get straight back into the process, which was moving on to the next stage of IVF. So did you already have all the information and everything you knew what you needed to do going into the next step? Yeah, I had done a lot of research and I thought I was pretty ready for it and I knew there was obviously going to be a lot of injections and stuff like that. But I think... When I started it, I was like, oh, my God, why why do I even have to do this? Like, it's quite bullshit that anyone has to do this. So we had started, COVID had hit and we had started our first round of IVF and all IVF got cancelled in New South Wales. I don't know what it was like in Queensland, but um, in IVF world in New South Wales, they basically said that all elective treatment is cancelled so obviously we're in the middle of injections and everything and you get a call from the fertility specialist saying that you can't do it anymore so uh in may 2020 we had our first egg retrieval and they said we'd want to do ivf instead of ICSI. and at this point i didn't really know what the difference was and i should have pushed for ICSI a bit harder but i trusted them and yeah so basically IVF I got six eggs retrieved and zero fertilization so yeah wow that's that would have been so disappointing like so disheartening for you because you would think I've got six chances at this and had you at before this point we didn't really ask you but had your partner had his semen tested and were his levels okay or so actually sorry I forgot to mention that he actually had his semen analysis prior to even conceiving Ellie and he has quite a low sperm count and low mobility 
So mm-hmm. um, that was obviously another thing that we were dealing with, not just my infertility, we were actually dealing with low sperm count. So if you have yeah. both sides infertility, it's obviously a lot harder. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely relate with that, with um, my situation with Jara. Um, and for so long you think that you're the issue and you don't really yeah. worry about them and then you're sort of like, oh, got this other thing in the mix. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think um, it probably hit him quite hard that that was an issue where I'm happy to take it on board and go, okay, my body's failing me, all of that kind of stuff. So mm. I knew, but seeing him know that his sperm was low I think that probably hit me quite hard as well because I didn't want him to feel like that yeah I think again you go sorry I'm really surprised that they didn't insist on doing the ICSI method knowing that that was already low and so that's exactly I didn't really um know too much about ICSI and knowing what I know now I would never have went with IVF over ICSI if I knew that that was the reason why you do ICSI but anyway all good it probably taught us quite a few things that obviously our egg and sperm weren't just going together like it doesn't obviously tell us how Ellie was conceived but um in regards to okay the IVF process let's go to ICSI so um I just remember getting that phone call on day one saying none had fertilized we'll wait another 24 hours and we'll just see what happens and then the nurse would call the next day oh well the um scientist would call the next day and say look we still haven't got fertilization so your eggs will be basically thrown out um that was very very hard yeah especially when you've gone through all that that time waiting taking the injections putting your body and your mind through all of that heartache and then having and also having the first part of the process thrown out because of covid it would have felt like such a long time before you got to that and then yeah you're just sort of throwing away because i i know that obviously like the eggs and the embryos and the little things you create like to some other people that means nothing but like that's your egg that's the start of a baby like it means something Yeah, so I think after, and like if people don't know what the IVF process is like, you basically start on day one, you start with blood tests, you start with injections. Sometimes you're on three injections a day and then you're on constant blood tests to check your levels and then you get to an egg retrieval stage. So when I went into the egg retrieval, you obviously go under an anaesthetic and I don't know if you girls did, but I went under a general anaesthetic. Um no, we actually um, were awake. <laughs> oh wow! <well. laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I personally had some good drugs and some gas. Um, there was a few pain points, but it was it was very bearable. And yeah, okay. well, um, but, yeah we we had the luxury of going bulk billing. Um, yeah. So yeah, that I think that's sort of the difference when you go private. You. Oh. Yeah, you pay for the anaesthetic and everything. Yeah, well, to be honest, it wasn't even an option for me to be awake. So I would wonder if um, I'll go further in, but I'm going to a new clinic now. So I wonder if they will let me stay awake. I honestly, like, obviously I've only done the one option, which is not, which is staying awake. And I've had lots of surgeries in my life. And to be completely honest with you, it's obviously depends on case by case, but I believe like I liked being awake because the recovery was so quick. Whereas, you know, when you've gone under GA, you feel 
groggy. I get nauseous from the the staff. Like I just feel like, but again, it would be case by case because I'm sure yeah. there's a lot of people out there that are very anxious about the whole thing as well. And, you know, I think you just, but they give you Valium. So you, you really feel pretty chilled. Like I felt pretty out of it, to be honest with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, could your partners be there? No, no. Yeah, see, that's very unfortunate. They, they were out in the um the either the sperm room or the waiting room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were having a great time. Yeah, having a good old time watching the TVs, <laughs> looking at the mags. Um, no, but it, it also was pretty cool because you're awake and you're experiencing it, and you're like you're you're living through it. But um, you know, with our clinics, they sort of aim for a smaller amount of eggs. I know that with the private ones, they can aim for like. 30 eggs or they go a bit crazy so obviously I think if you were a lot more fuller um you know and had a lot more eggs it'd probably be a bit more painful as well like that's something to consider so so yeah basically back off the back of that I just remember after I got that phone call from the lab saying that you had no fertilization after 48 hours and they will be thrown out I was very, very disheartened and be like, okay, well, how's this even going to work? Like, how does even Ellie exist? Like, how I don't understand what's going on. So it actually put me into quite a dark place and not having anyone that knew at that stage what we were going through, only Mick could really comfort me. And at the same time, I probably was shutting down to him a bit as well, which is probably unfair, but... Yeah, that's just what I was going through. So then we made the decision to go through another IVF cycle and do ICSI. So we ended up doing an egg retrieval and we got five eggs and we got five fertilised. So we had 100% fertilisation rate, which was great coming off that IVF that we had zero. So I basically said to the fertility specialist, is that what's happening inside our body? And he said it could be the sperm could be lazy or the egg could not be um, like accepting the sperm. So yeah, that's where we went from there. After 24 hours, they were still all there. And then we got four of them made it to day five and three were a blastocyst. So we oh, tried. Great. Yeah. So we ended up, I was just on the cards of like, okay, let's do a double embryo transfer. And if, it ends in twins, it's fine. Like we've been on this journey for quite a while and we never really wanted three children, but I wouldn't say no to twins. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. How long do you reckon you would have been on, like how long ago was this? Like how long do you think post um, Ellie? So Ellie was just over two years old when we did the okay. cycle. Yep. yep, cool. Yeah. So we did the ICSI cycle and we did uh, two fro no, we did two fresh transfers. So we did a double embryo transfer while they were fresh. So um, they were quite good embryos. I can't really remember the rating they gave them, but they were quite good. So and what what day was this on? This was five day, day five. Oh, yeah. yeah, day yeah. five. So, so you one, would have probably had super high hopes. Just Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I kind of was like, oh, look, we're going to have twins at the end of this month. Mm. Absolutely not. But anyway, um, I the two-week wait, as you guys know, is horrific. And I didn't actually test in that two-week wait where um, I waited for the blood test and the nurse had rang me and said, oh, look, we've got a positive. 
And I was remember I was sitting at work going, oh, my God, what am I going to do now? I've got to plan all of this stuff. <laughs> I didn't really um, – I was expecting it but wasn't really expecting it at the same time. So – and did you just convince yourself, like, I'm pregnant with twins? Yeah. Twins. Yeah. She said, oh, look, the levels, are, the levels are low. We will have to see them double in the next couple of days and then they'll have to triple. So I um, had to have another blood test in two days and they had went up slightly and she said, look, it's not looking positive. Um, and then they had kept going up over the next couple of days but only slightly. Um, so... Anyway, we basically um, did that for about two weeks. So in IVF world, you would be around that six and a half to seven weeks pregnant by the time you're doing that. And um, they started declining. So they said, take go off all of your medication and expect to miscarriage in the next couple of weeks. Mm, I'm so sorry. That just would have been so hard after so long and so much trying and yeah absolutely yeah. I remember just sitting at my desk at work going oh my god I just cannot even deal with this right now um, and it's usually something that you're having to deal with like whilst you're at work and they give you they call you like I remember when I was getting my blood test I would always want to do a test beforehand so I was like I need to be prepared yeah, like, I can't be at work just like not knowing yeah so I um didn't test that time but in like the future I have so I um when yeah, when that nurse rang me and told me that it was positive, yeah, I wasn't expecting in two weeks that I would be taking off all medication and going through a miscarriage for sure. So yeah, yeah. So after the, that miscarriage, you, did your your body obviously passed it naturally? Did you have yeah, the so bleeding? It probably took around six days. Once they told me that, I went off all of the um, progesterone and. I think it was like six days. I can't really remember to be honest, but which yeah. is like a lifetime in yeah, absolutely, world. yeah, and yeah, like, knowing that there's not like a viable pregnancy every day. You, it's just every day that you're not getting closer to starting that new process. Yeah, absolutely. So we went through that, and I just remember I don't leave work for very many. Um, things at all but I actually said to one of my work colleagues I've really got to go home and um, I went home and I just remember laying in bed going this is not okay yeah did you feel did you tell your workplace about like your IVF and any of your miscarriages and stuff like that or did you kind of just struggle with it like in silence so I'm actually um, a 2IC to the directors so I um, have two boy bosses and they. Okay. Um, I actually sat them down prior to even starting treatment with the IVF clinic and said, look, I'm going to do IVF. Um, I'm probably only do a couple of rounds, all of that, and, yeah, we'll go from there. But I don't know how the medication's going to affect me. So, yeah, like I work very close with them, so I thought that I had to tell them. So I said, look, obviously this is very confidential. No one knows. And I'm quite good friends with um, the wives. So I had spoken to one of their wives about it. And she was the one that I said, look, I need to go home. I'm expecting to miscarriage. So, yeah. Mm. Um, They were very, very supportive. So 
Yeah, that's that's really great. That's amazing. So so all employers should be, but I think sometimes yeah. they just want to bleed you dry, even though you're going through a tough time. Yeah. So. Yeah. So you had your miscarriage. Um, obviously, you were mentally just in the worst place ever. Did you get your period back pretty quickly? Was it a you know short cycle? And then where did you kind of go from there? What did your clinic recommend? I, think I had a bit of a short cycle, and then once all the hormones were probably out of my body, I got a actual period, and yeah, it went straight back to the twenty eight day um, period. And I know when I ovulate on day fifteen, so. I had that and I probably thought that I was going to fall pregnant naturally again, but yeah, it just didn't happen. So we ended up having about 11 months off, to be honest, just because I didn't, I, it really shocked me that going through a miscarriage. And so, yeah, anyway, we ended up doing a um, transfer with a frozen embryo and we didn't get implantation, unfortunately, but um, yeah, so that's basically where we're at. Okay, because you only had the three embryos, didn't you? So you did the double transfer yeah. and then you did the one frozen. Yeah, so we didn't get any implantation with the frozen one. So I got my period on day nine post five-day transfer. So oh, yeah. yeah, and they didn't even do a blood test or anything to check if no, they just said. Um, no, I still had to have the blood test yeah. just because um, if your levels are still, if it like has a positive and you're going through like an early miscarriage or something. So yeah, I still had the blood test and I still remember the, I actually had it one day late because I was like, Mick, I don't need to have this. Like I know I'm not pregnant, but I know I should. So I had it the next day and I still remember the nurse ringing me the day after and it's always that the hardest phone call and I'm sure you guys have had it and the nurse's mm. voice is like, hi, could I please have your date of birth? And I'm like, sure. Yep, I already know so you don't have to tell me. And she said, oh, thank you so much for telling me that you already know because these oh. are so hard. And I'm like, look, I've already oh, yeah. So she said your levels are great for a baseline, but, yeah, obviously you're not pregnant. So, yeah, I kind of just um, was – definitely not shocked because I already knew so but it's still um, even though you know that the news is coming it's still sort of like a knife in the heart like I whenever I've sort of gone through those kind of things I'm like maybe yeah (laughs) maybe I'll you know have a miracle and something will be going my way but yeah yeah, sadly it's never really the case yeah so and I probably, that phone call from the nurse probably wasn't one that I was expecting with what they were just going to say next because I thought that they would give me a bit more information on why they think it didn't work. And I know they're not, they don't have a crystal ball or anything like that, but having to go through a miscarriage and then you've got such good embryos and they don't implant, like, why? And I know everyone wants to know why, but... They basically said, oh, look, we've done up some scripts. Let me know when you're ready for an- another cycle. And I kind of took that to heart. Yeah. Went, mm, I'm not happy with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that's probably just been me being a quite a structured person as well. But, yeah, I didn't take that phone call very lightly. And I had went home to Mick and said, look, I think I need a change. Yeah, so you want to change clinics? You just want yeah, so acting actually- with them? Yeah, and, like, nothing against them at all, but I just think when you're going through this, you don't want to be another number. Oh, definitely. I feel like it's such a sensitive 
time already and then to just feel like you're sort of like okay you've had a miscarriage you're not pregnant okay see you see you when you get your next period and you can start again yeah Yeah. so I really wanted someone to just guide me through it a bit closer like my gynecologist obstetrician where I live is brilliant like I can see her every couple of weeks and she's been putting up with me since I was 16 so I think um we have quite a good relationship and I kind of just said to her look I need another referral to another clinic and I had done my research and I've actually picked one in Melbourne so um I've started everything with there and it's quite interesting what they've asked me what another clinic hasn't so Mm. yeah I've got a bit of a plan of what the next four months looks like and yeah so how are you you, oh sorry sorry. I was gonna say how far are you traveling to go to this other clinic because this you know I I have a few people that I know that they live a bit more rural and they don't really have clinics nearby and it isn't as easy like you know as just you got to go so many times you got to get so many blood tests like it's not convenient but I guess the clinic's actually about four and a half, five hours yeah, away. Wow. That's but so I, yeah, but so my gynecologist in my town will do all of the scans and blood tests for me mm-hmm. and just work with the new clinic. So, oh, and I will only have to go to the clinic, hopefully, for the egg retrieval, embryo transfers, yeah, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so, um, I've got a bit of a plan if you want to hear about that. Yes, definitely. I was going to ask you, but then I'm like, I don't know if you want to share, but if you were willing to share, we'd love to know. Yeah, so I am actually going to go into artificial menopause for three months, which I don't know if you girls have heard about because I don't know. I didn't know much about it before they had said, oh, look, why don't we do a down regulation cycle? So do you guys no, know? I've never no, heard of that ever. No, but tell me. I'm very interested. Yeah. So basically yeah. down regulation cycle turns off all of your natural menstrual cycle and so none of your hormones are in your body and you go into medical medically induced menopause. So oh, wow. I've um, hopefully starting that this weekend, to be honest. I'm just waiting for my next period to show up and then I will have to do Zolodex injections, which is actually an injection that you treat um, breast cancer and prostate cancer with. Wow. So, yeah, it will put me into menopause and it will flatline all of my hormones and I have to – do that for three months, but hopefully at the end of it, all of my endometriosis and endo shrinks, disappears, or it can't grow. So basically, it'll just baseline me for three months, and then hopefully, when I come out of it, my ovaries and my uterus is in such a good form that it will help implantation because they just think I'm so inflamed that, um, yeah, it's infecting implantation. So oh, wow, that's so. I've literally never heard of that, but that's like so interesting. Like, is this yeah. something that they've been doing for a long time, or is this more well, like a newer practice? I think it's a big thing in the United States. Oh uh-huh, yeah. Um, but usually they would do it with the pill. So, have you ever heard of people taking the pill before an IVF cycle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, you take the pill for seven or fourteen days or something like that, and it basically baselines all of your hormones, and then you can start day one. And it's usually for people that don't have period prior so you obviously start day one of an IVF cycle on the first day of your period some people aren't that lucky to even get a period so Mm. they would start the pill and then bring on a bleed and that would be day one so I'm not doing it for that I'm doing it basically 
because of my experiences is quite bad. Have they said that it affects your hormones long term or anything, or it's pretty? Well, it's, you just once you're questions. on the medication. That was one of my questions, and I said, "Oh, once I'm in menopause, can I come out of it?" Like I didn't want to be stuck in menopause, and <clears throat> they said, "As soon as you stop the injections, you'll come out of it." Yeah, wow. Science is just amazing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So we have all the classic signs of menopause then, like the night sweats and yeah, all the... everything. Oh, doll. Gosh. I kind of <laughs> to my husband, oh, these are my, these are the symptoms. Like I'm going to be moody. I'm going to have night sweats. I'm going to have insomnia. I might be cranky. And he's like, oh, well, not much will change. So. <laughs> oh, doll. <laughs> we can relate. <laughs> oh, 100. I um was like, you have no idea. <laughs> anyway, so hopefully the next three months um looks quite well. And they said at the end of the day, if it, it is affecting you really, really badly, um, you can come off it. So they they did say to me like, it is one of the worst things that you will go through, but it's worth it. And did they say so? You take it for the three months, and then they think that once you come off it, it should be fine to start a new IVF process, no. or do you need to get another um, laparoscopy surgery beforehand? Or no, I don't think I will because I actually just had one in June. Um, okay. Through I one after the three months, and during these three months, I'm actually going to do a hundred days of like an anti-inflammatory diet. So basically focusing on your whole foods, avoid processed foods, making sure you're getting a lot of fruit and veggies, oily fish and no alcohol, all of those fun things. And that obviously helped with inflammatory as well. So, yeah, um, yeah so that's what I'm going to be doing until basically New Year's Eve. And then January will hopefully bring me in Egg retrieval. Yeah, well, 2021, 2022, gosh, don't even know what year it is. That's your year, girl. Yes. Surely, surely, if you're going through all this hard stuff and another thing that, you know, some people just don't even realise is like the travel that you have to do, the diets, the, it's not just, you know, the IVF process and the money or anything. It's just, it's so much more. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, there definitely won't be any natural conception in the next three months because I won't have any ovulation. Yeah, wow. I uh, just want to say as well, like, yeah, that's that's really like you should be really proud of yourself for, you know, going through all this and, you know, just keeping on going. And, yeah, like I actually am really excited to like check in with you and just see how you're going in the next three months and obviously post that as well because, um, yeah, like, yeah, you deserve a happy ending, you know, as does everybody. So, yeah, yeah. thank you so much for coming on today. Hey, I've got just a couple of tips. Yeah, yeah. Want to say? Yeah. So, anyone that is going through a bit of a fertility journey, um, just make sure you know that you're not alone. Um, there is making sure that you do get a doctor that listens to you 100%, and don't feel bad for changing clinics if you're not happy. At the end of the day, you're paying a lot of money and you're going through a lot of hell to get your baby. So just making sure that people are listening to you. Um, know that your closest friends will be there for you, even though they don't know what to say. Nothing against my friends or family that haven't been through an infertility journey, but know that they will be there to pour a glass of wine and talk and lend a shoulder to cry on. Try and know the, your body as best as you can. Yeah, and that's basically 
all I've got. Well, thank you so much. I'm sure that there's going to be so many women that can relate to parts of your story and we appreciate you just getting out of your comfort zone and sharing this really raw and real story because, like you said, you know, there's people in your life that don't know these parts and it is really scary to people that aren't really going through infertility like it is such a scary thing to share and be so vulnerable so um yeah we really appreciate it so much yeah absolutely and just if you are on an infertility journey or you're not making sure you're checking in with your girlfriends to make sure that they are okay and if they aren't going through the journey yet or they are in the journey just making sure you are there for them so if people if you want to know about people's pregnancies just make sure that you can know about their infertility struggles as well so yeah yeah well said well said all right well thanks for having me yeah no our pleasure thank you so much for sharing and yeah we'll definitely um keep you Hopefully I can come back on. Yeah, come back oh, on and tell you how you go. With a birth story. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Well, we've de- I've definitely learned a lot from you today and, you know, so and I can only imagine, yeah, like I said, everyone else that will be listening. I feel like every episode someone can take something from it. So thanks again and we hope you have a lovely evening and we'll yes, check in with I you. I hope you guys are going well in your fertility journey as well and hopefully yes. you do get your babies very shortly. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. You give us hope and you're super inspiring. So thank you so much again. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thanks. Bye. Just a reminder to everyone listening that we see you, we hear you and that you are not alone in this. Yeah, and just remember, guys, head over to our Instagram at infertilityandbeyond underscore. Send us a message. Let us know what you thought of today's show. And all corresponding links will be in our show notes. All right. Until next time. See you guys. Bye.